We're talking about corruption amongst law enforcement here. And I'll say right up front, I was a deputy attorney general. I have personally prosecuted uh, members of law enforcement for misconduct on the job. So there are some bad police officers. In every profession, no matter how good the training, no matter how good the screening, you were going to have a few, to use the expression, bad apples. Let's say doctors. We don't talk about it, but one of the most common causes of death in America is a doctor making a mistake. We all accept that doctors occasionally make mistakes. They should be held accountable. But we don't exaggerate and have news stories night after night after night of doctors making mistakes and the media and politicians pretending that this entire profession is full of people that are criminals and want to kill people because it's not true. And it's not true as it relates to law enforcement. My guest today is Vern Pearson, District Attorney of El Dorado County. It's so rare that an officer is actually committing some type of uh, shakedown or misuse of their office or police brutality, things like that. It's not to say they don't occur, because they do, but they, it's very rare. Is California experiencing a cultural war on our law enforcement? Are police officers being overly scrutinized for every action or inaction? Keep watching for an insider's perspective on how law enforcement is handling crime under the microscope. I'm CMI Koremi. Welcome to California Insider. Well, thank you for having me. We want to talk to you about the police. Some of our guests and our audience have been wondering why the police is not responding like they used to do to 911 calls, to, to certain theft and robberies. Can you tell us what's going on with the police? Well, there's a number of things that are going on, but there's, there's really been a shift um, in the last several years. What I would characterize as a cultural war on police that has essentially gone on, where we have politicians and, uh, and the media largely that are misrepresenting and uh, exaggerating uh, misconduct on the part of the officers. That's certainly a contributing factor within that. Additionally, you have staffing, and uh, uh, as a result of the, that war on police, it's very difficult to recruit law enforcement. And what we've seen is that there's been a significant decline in applicants. And at the same time, there's a, a smaller and smaller number of people who are um, actually working as police officers. So things are changing. We're seeing people working more overtime and being able to do less. But, but there's more than that. Um, uh, let me give you, for instance, in, in San Francisco over the last year, there's been a lot of media attention on a, a cannabis shop that was burglarized a couple times. Uh, and a number of stories about these burglaries taking place culminating with the owner of the cannabis store, marijuana store, uh, uh, putting a bunch of video cameras around the building and an alarm and so the alarm goes off middle of the night and uh, a two San Francisco police officers in vehicles pull up down the street and they sit there for a short period of time. Uh, the burglars leave and they don't apprehend them and the scrutiny from the media has been why didn't those officers immediately rush into uh, that burglary in progress and detain the people. So let's stop and think about that for a moment. Um, I think, I suspect what they were doing was waiting for a supervisor um, because of the world we live in. And you have to look a short distance to my county. Two and a half years ago, we had a, a uh, deputies responding to theft of marijuana. And one of the deputies was, was uh, shot and killed 
during a similar type of incident. So it, it's very easy to sit back and from members of the media and the public and say, why aren't the officers immediately rushing into that situation? It's like, well, number one, there was a danger involved in it. Number two, if they go in and there's a good probability that the people that are there doing that type of crime are armed, so they get into a gunfight, then the question is, well, why didn't you wait and have appropriate resources? So, it, I mean, you know, to use the, what's the old expression, catch-22, the law enforcement is increasingly in a catch-22 situation where either way, either way they handle the situation, they're criticized um, for either doing too much or not doing enough. You mentioned a culture of war on police. Can you explain this? So what I mean by that is uh, the, the members of the media, politicians, uh, have uh, uh, exaggerated uh, misconduct, the occasional and very rare misconduct that does in fact take place um, and made it portrayed it as though law enforcement is routinely doing illegal stops, routinely shooting uh, African-American men, uh, for instance, uh, and, and they're doing it over and over and over again and they're playing it and portraying it that way. And, and you know, at the core of it, um, we had a, uh, uh, back in 2014, we had an incident where a individual named Michael Brown, uh, and the facts are not disputed at this point. They were independently investigated by multiple agencies, in including Eric Holder's Justice Department. Um, Michael Brown did a, what's called a strong arm robbery uh, at a local liquor store. An officer who was in the area uh, made contact with him and Michael Brown assaulted him uh, uh, and attempted to take the officer's weapon. Um, eventually, in the, there was a gunshot, the first gunshot that took place, took place inside of the officer's patrol car uh, with Michael Brown fighting with the officer trying to take his weapon from him. Uh, that's when the first round was fired and ultimately Michael Brown was, was shot and killed. So I'm describing an actual series of events that are very well documented with forensic evidence and independent investigations. Yet most of the people watching this have no idea what I'm talking about because they've heard the story that Michael Brown was killed by a police officer while he was trying to surrender with his hands up saying, hands up, don't shoot. They've heard it over and over again. It was portrayed over and over again. And when the actual facts came out, uh, a significant uh, uh, percentage of Americans never really heard the, what truly happened. And so they believed that this was a, uh, a murder. And we have uh, uh, very high-ranking members of uh, uh, the political class, uh, uh, the current Vice President of the United States, tweeting things suggesting that he was murdered when they know full well that that's not what happened. So you go from there about eight years ago and there's been a series of events uh, where uh, uh, the media has either misrepresented or exaggerated misconduct on the part of a handful of officers. And we really need to put it in some type of context. And I'll say right up front, I was a deputy attorney general. I have personally prosecuted uh, members of law enforcement for misconduct on the job. I put people in prison, for, uh, 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 law enforcement officers. So there are some bad police officers. There are, in every profession, no matter how good the training, no matter how good the screening, you were going to have a few, to use the expression, bad apples. There's no question. And there's no question they need to be held accountable. 
um, for, their, for their actions. And I, as I said, I personally been involved in doing that. Not a pleasant thing to do, but it is something that has to happen and it's our responsibility as, as uh, DAs or prosecutors or deputy attorney general at the time uh, to do that. But, but that's a very, very small number. And when I say that, you know, there's, there's data out there, 60 million on average contacts between law enforcement and members of the public in the United States every single year. That's a lot of contacts. Let's just focus on California, talk about specifically in California. In, in California, you have on average about 1.2 million arrests taking place in, in the state of California. 1.2 million every year, uh, every year wow. on average. So people that are being taken in custody for whatever the reasons. Of, the, of those incidents, 1.2 million, you have a, about 2,000 on average, maybe uh, between two and 2,500 on average incidents that result in what people would characterize as a use of force or uh, some type of force, you know, so it's not what we, people would call as a routine arrest. So you go from 1.2 million arrests down to, you know, certainly less than 3,000 uses of force and then uh, uh, a, a number significantly smaller of that of where a firearm is discharged and someone uh, is killed. And in the overwhelming majority of those cases, uh, 80 plus percent, about 86 percent of those were the f uh, a police officer uses a firearm, the person that they are uh, firing on is shooting at them. And uh, the person is armed and or trying to, and so then you get to a very, very small number out of you know, 1.2 million arrests where uh, uh, the officer has either done something wrong or has committed some type of misconduct. So, um, but again, that is a very, very small number of cases. In any profession, let's take, let's say doctors. Um, one of the, we, we don't talk about it, but one of the most common causes of death in America is a doctor making a mistake. We all accept that doctors occasionally make mistakes. They should be held accountable. But we don't exaggerate and have news stories night after night after night of doctors making mistakes and, and pretend, you know, the media and politicians pretending that this entire profession is full of people that are criminals and want to kill people because it's not true. And it's not true as it relates to law enforcement. But for most people who watch the news, um, it is portrayed in such a way and has been portrayed that the uh, law enforcement is the problem and that the criminals are really just victims of law enforcement. I mean, I know that sounds like an exaggeration, but if you stop to think about it, that's really the way they're being portrayed. So why do you think this, th this is happening? I think it's more political expediency than any, anything else. I think you go back to the expression from, I think it was Hearst that said, if it bleeds, it leads. It's, it's, uh, well, I mean, it's better more exciting or emotional. It's exciting, if, yeah. If to, to report on that, yeah. whether reporting on the big picture of the statistics, like that there's this many contacts and there's this many people working right. this police force. And, yeah. you know, maybe there is a small percentage yeah. are not the right people for this job. But it's, I, I think there's a certain amount of human nature within that, that the, uh, the expression, uh, you know, the one that occurs to me is, uh, it, it, I think it was a newspaper person that said, if a man bites, uh, or if a dog bites a man, that's not news, but if a, uh, a man bites a dog, that's news. It, it's so unusual that a police officer commits a misconduct that it's news. It's the, the classic man biting the dog, yet it gets portrayed that it happens all the time. 
And, uh, you know, 30 years in the business, um, I've known an awful lot of detectives, an awful lot of police officers, highway patrol officers. Most of them, the overwhelming uh, uh, number of them are people that are very conscientious, smart, capable, uh, and uh, uh, people who want to serve their community. And so they get into this profession thinking that they can protect the public and be part of the public. And uh, that is, and then you take a tiny percentage. And as I said, you know, I, I've done everything from prosecuting someone from uh, uh, shaking down uh, uh, Mexican nationals that were working as, as migrant farm workers uh, for money. It, that does happen. It, it is a practical reality that, as I said, in every profession you have a few people that um, shouldn't have been hired, go astray, whatever it might be. They absolutely need to be held accountable, but it is a lie to pretend that that is a uh, a, a large percentage or even more than just a very tiny percentage of people in law enforcement. Some people are also concerned that there might be gangs within the police departments. Right. Or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I've heard about that and, and I think there's some evidence that, it, it, you know, on isolated cases uh, that there's been that type of misconduct. And, and again, as I said before, it, it, there's a police officer belonging to a gang of any kind uh, needs to be dealt with uh, uh, administratively or criminally, depending on the circumstances. You should not be in a gang if you're a member of law enforcement. Um, and uh, but it's a, I think you hear about media attention on it, and it, it's like so many other things. It's exaggerated. If you if you have thousands of officers, let's say in L.A., I mean tens of thousands actually in L.A. County, and you have four or five that are in some I don't know, idiotic gang, let's call it that, uh, that doesn't uh, somehow tarnish the other thousands that would never uh, uh, think of doing that, yet it gets portrayed that way that that's, it's common, even though it's really not common. And that's kind of more newsworthy when you have those five, four yeah. or five bad ones versus you have like the 9,995 that they're yeah. doing. Yeah. And and compared to other countries, having lived, I've lived in Mexico and other countries, and the the police force there, you can't trust half of the police force. Right. It's it's so it's so ironic that you stop to think about that's the point that we're talking about corruption amongst law enforcement here, and you know, I've been in this business for a long time. I've investigated quite a few officers for different things over the years. It's so rare that an officer is actually committing some type of uh, shakedown or, or uh, uh, misuse of their office uh, or their, their uh, police brutality, things like that. It's not to say they don't occur, because they do, but they, it's very rare. Uh, and then you, you stop and look, it's like a country like Mexico where 40% of law enforcement are on the take, you know, 30 to 40%. I don't know what the exact numbers. I mean, you lived there. I was living, <laughs> I was lost in Mexico City, actually, and I was afraid of asking the police because I had an accent in Spanish. I didn't want to ask the police for a direction because yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to be in trouble. I don't, I don't know if I can trust these guys. I'd rather ask anybody else on the corner of the street. Yeah. And, and yet you watch the media, uh, uh, media outside of the United States, and they're like trying to gauge what is actually occurring here because of the way, unfortunately, this sensationalism 
that has taken place here to portray a, a very tiny number of bad actors as being the norm. Is there a correlation between um, the fact that there's this culture war, war on the police and the response time that we're getting in that with our 911 calls in LA um, and the, the police uh, reacting to theft and things like that? Yeah, there's a number of different theories in terms of uh, what's actually uh, at work and causing some of those. Um, certainly the staffing levels are part of it. In other words, the staffing levels are down. Uh, across America, particularly in major cities. Uh, so that contributes to it. Um, lower staff, slower response times. Um, but, you know, coming out, who was talking about the, the killing of Michael Brown, uh, there's some that theorized, uh, and they call it the Ferguson effect. The Ferguson effect was that uh, Darren Wilson, the officer there, was completely in the right, doing his job, uh, engaging with a subject that had just committed a, a strong-arm robbery, and then he was villainized by the media uh, over and over again over a period of time to where he left law enforcement as uh, doing some other job in hiding because he's, he's, you know, was so hated for something that he was portrayed as doing that he didn't actually do. Some have theorized that because of that, officers are less likely to make contact with criminals and that they will hold back more and wait for more resources or wait for other people to be there. Um, I, I don't know if that's a, a, the direct cause of, of what people are saying. I certainly think it's a reasonable reaction for an officer that's by themselves who makes contact with someone or sees someone to wait for another officer before making contact in that. And not just for, because of cases like that and the media scrutiny, but because of some of the policies. Uh, policies that have been adopted here in, in uh, California uh, and other states that, that require officers to uh, uh, have a plan going in, have a plan going out, and it causes them to delay because it's like, well, I need to make sure that I'm doing things that, uh, appropriately consistent with the law now. So I think all of those things play a factor on it. Um, I do think, though, that statistically the most uh, uh, basic causes of crime going up uh, start with the number of officers and what those officers are doing. Uh, as the officers' numbers go up, crime goes down. As the number of officers go down, crime, go, uh, crime goes up. Um, and, and then you add in all sorts of different factors like, you know, George Gascon's directive saying no firearm use enhancements, and suddenly we have more people carrying guns in L.A. Um, that is a direct cause of his poorly thought out policy. Some people wonder when these shootings happen, when the police is involved, sometimes they fire a lot of shots. Right. Some people are like, why don't they hit them in the legs or somewhere? With, and, and what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, there's a couple different things. It's a very interesting question. So they will, there's, uh, they'll look at it and say, well, why do they have to fire so many times? And it's like, well, in the way law enforcement is trained, and we're always in need of revisiting training and saying, well, we could get better about this, we can do that. And I, and I think that is happening. There's, there's some training changes. But, but uh, from the military, when I was in the military, to law enforcement training, they've all, over the last you know, 100 years, they've all followed this basic same pattern that you line up officers, they stand on a, on a line, they're firing at targets, they, uh, they're told, uh, uh, to, you know, they're, they're, they're put in a situation where it's a silhouette that they're shooting at. 
and um, they 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 say you know gun something like that, and then they fire at the at the uh, the target, and they're trained to fire until the the target is no longer a threat. It's considered a, th a threat is what they're doing. So, but because of the way they're trained, they fire multiple times. So if you have uh, uh, three or four officers there, and one of them fires. There's this thing called sympathetic firing, to where you hear somebody else, then you assume that you, there's a threat that you need to fire as well, and it's a, a subconscious approach to it. And then multiple rounds are fired, but it, uh, it's it, it happens very fast. It, uh, I I challenge people who are interested in this. I'll challenge you, and I can help set it up if you're interested. Go through a simulator. Have you ever been in a simulator? No. Go, go through a use of force simulators. I, I've been involved in training in uh, detectives and, uh, and prosecutors on how to investigate use of force incidents for many years. Uh, what I always say to them is you, you're not qualified to, to do this work, to investigate these cases, if you're not willing to put yourself in their in that situation to, to either do a, a, a use of force where it's a, you're in a scenario and it, you know, it's all around you and you see, you're watching a video, you have a firearm, you need to react to what's so happening. It's like a, a few seconds to decide. A few seconds to decide. And what you realize is that your, the way your brain reacts to it is different, a traumatic situation like that. Um, and, and it's things that we see. I mean, think, just think about it driving down the street. Driving down the street, you see a car that slows or stops there's a brief period of time that it takes your brain to say, okay, the car, there's red lights in front of me. I need to react to this somehow. My decision is gonna be to put my foot on the brake and slow down. It, the same type of thing happens with a police officer when they're confronting a, a situation on the street. And remember, we call them to all sorts of situations. All, uh, police officers are called to everything from a, 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 I saw someone recently, a police officer delivered a baby. Um, and, and those happen, they get called to that, they get called to a fire, they get called to a domestic violence, they get called, I mean, a typical day, depending on the city and the jurisdiction, is all sorts of different things. They have to be prepared for things that it's frankly impossible to be prepared for, and uh, the expectation is. So they have to go into that, and then they react to those situations, and you try to train them the best that you can, and you use force simulators, you use things called simunitions where you actually feel, you know, it's like a paintball type thing is fired at you. And, and I think anybody who's interested in this, you should experience it and see for yourself that it's not the same as what, you know, it's not like a video game. It's a little bit different than that. Is it hard for, for them when in, they're in that moment to aim for somebody's feet? Or I've, I've heard this from a lot of different people that, why don't they shoot them in the feet or somewhere that right. is not fatal? What what are is is it very difficult to do? Is it hard to do the shooting or is it? Well, so yes, this common thing of uh, shoot for the why didn't they shoot for the leg? And it's like I, it's almost to the point of laughable to anybody who is familiar with firearms. Um, well, number one is if you shoot somebody in the leg or the upper torso, you have uh, uh, the possibility of bleeding out very quickly. Um, so it's not exactly that much safer to do that. But in what we see, and we've seen this for many years, is that uh, uh, people in a traumatic event, like a shootout, remember oftentimes someone is shooting, at, uh, uh, you know, this is like a two-way range, someone is shooting at the officer, the officer's shooting back at that person. Um, and in that type of excitement, 
the, the people who you know, train officers have made the judgment a long time ago that it's far better to focus on the center mass uh, of the target uh, in order that they're not shooting all over the place. And trying to shoot somebody in the leg or arm, things like that, is more likely to, one, either result in, a, a, in you missing them uh, and not disabling or stopping the threat. Because remember, officers sh really should, uh, uh, and again, as I said before, there, there have been officers who have murdered people on the job. There have been officers who have committed all sorts of different type of misconduct. It's rare, but it does happen. Um, but, but most of the time, they're in a life or death situation when they discharge their firearm. And uh, I think the judgment is that it's far better them to, to teach them to shoot at directly at the center mass of the target, and that's the, or the threat, I should say, um, in that incident. And now, this must be a very difficult job. It, it seems like we can't recruit enough. It's uh, because of this cultural bar. So these people are looked down upon now because of the media, right? Is that, is that and, and, and it's a very difficult job. It looks like you have to go from one call to another one and who knows what you're going to get yourself into. It's a very difficult job, both physically, uh, emotionally, it's hard on your family. Uh, the types of things that officers, firefighters as well, you know, that they respond to, what they see, uh, the uh, emotion, long-term emotional toll that it is on them, and then to be portrayed as being villains uh, just makes it that much worse. I think if you talk to most officers uh, today, and you know, people have been around for 20 years or so, and you say, if your son or daughter was interested in law enforcement, would you recommend them pursue a career in law enforcement? Most would tell you they would encourage him not to go into law enforcement, do something different because of that. That has really hurt um, recruiting. And throughout, throughout the United States, really, this whole you know, cultural war on the police has resulted in us having fewer and fewer officers uh, uh, on the street. And statistically, we know uh, the most effective deterrent to crime. The thing that causes crime to go down or causes the reverse of it, causes crime to go up, is the number of officers that you have on the street. Um, there's been uh, numerous studies that have looked at over the last 20 or 30 years that 10% uh, uh, more officers uh, in a given agency results in a crime reduction of between three and 7% reduction in overall crime. So by having more officers, you have less crime. What we're seeing in America right now is we have fewer and fewer officers, particularly in larger agencies, fewer and fewer officers that are actually so like on in Los Angeles and San Francisco, we are yeah. short of officers, right? Yeah. We're having mass retirements, mass numbers of retirements, uh, and academy classes, L.A. County, or actually LAPD, uh, because of COVID and other reasons, um, recruiting, th they should be running multiple classes at any given time, and they're far behind on that because they can't get enough uh, qualified people to come through the pipeline to become a police officer. Now, what's the solution to this? Is there a way for this to turn back around? Or are, is crime going to go up? Where, where are we right now, and what is the solution? You, you know, it, it, for me, sitting on the outside, in some sense, I, I live in a county uh, that has very low crime. Uh, we're between, you know, El Dorado County, Placer County, a few other counties. We have the lowest crime per capita. We have very good law enforcement. We have very good community engagement. Uh, we have officers that, laterals, where they come from one agency up to El Dorado County. 
And they say, you know, I talk to them and say, hey, why'd you move here? And they're like, I, I, this, I can sum it up this way. This community had, they have community uh, uh, appreciation days for law enforcement because people appreciate law enforcement. We have to change that. We have to change it in cities like Sacramento, uh, Los Angeles, San, San Francisco, to where the public does not see uh, law enforcement as the enemy. Instead, they need to see law enforcement as part of the community. I mean, I, 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 I read the LA Times and the coverage of it, um, and you would think that LAPD is a all-white, uh, very aggressive law enforcement agency, and nothing can be further from the truth. It is a, a very uh, uh, integrated, uh, a lot of women, a lot of people of very different ethnic backgrounds, within LAPD, and yet you don't see that represented by the media, and it's, it's shameful. We need to change that. We need to change the way uh, the media uh, uh, covers and portrays law enforcement here in California. Do you think things will change anytime soon, or do you think there will be more of these uh, people quitting the police force? Well, I certainly hope that we change. I. Uh, I think the way we see crime going up, I mean, we're, we're at a point now where, where <coughs> uh, LA, LAPD is reporting that they've had a 24% increase in homicides over the last two years, uh, year to date between 2020, year to date to 2022, 24% uh, increase in, in homicides. Overall homicides uh, in the state of California are up dramatically. No, they're not as high as they were in 1992, which was the record going back 30 years. Um, but we're on track within a, a, a year or two uh, to get back up to those uh, numbers. And it, it's devastating, devastating number of homicides. Um, and I, I hear and I see stories in the media where they say, well, they're not as bad as it was in 1992. It's like, yeah, but they're higher than they've been in the last 15 years. And they're dramatically higher uh, over the last two or three years. And if that trend continues, we will be right back to to. And most of the residents are very concerned in LA and even other cities that we have talked to on the show. But the media hasn't really acknowledged it. Yeah, the media has been very slow to acknowledge it. And and the way I would say it is that I I I have a conversation with a reporter out of LA, and I, you know, ca casually said, "You're basically saying don't believe your lying eyes." To use that expression, it's. People are seeing the crime, they're feeling the crime. Uh, if you go to San Francisco, let me give you a, a good example on it. People are saying, well, the property crime data shows that it's increased, but it hasn't increased that much. Anybody that goes to, to San Francisco right now, if you're from out of the area, if you talk to a local, they will tell you, leave your windows down on your car, because if you don't, it's going to be burglarized by the time you get back. But if you leave it down, they'll look around in your car and see that you haven't left anything valuable, and then they won't take anything. Um, that means crime is up. Uh, in, you know, it, 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 the crime is up dramatically. The reporting is lagged because people think it's, uh, there's no sense in reporting some of the crimes that's occurring. Uh, for property crimes, we're maybe reporting one in three uh, that are actually occurring, so, so the data doesn't necessarily reflect it. Um, Excuse me, but you can't hide, hide homicides and shootings. Those things are, are more accurately reporting, and they're up dramatically. So, Vern, what you're saying is that we have a lot of police officers, and we have a lot of in these officers have a lot of interactions with the public, but there's only a few that become really big stories. But when they happen, they're so traumatic, somebody dies, 
and then the public just remembers that. Is that, is that what's I happening? think that's exactly right. I, th I think it's exactly right that it's a, it's a rarity. R let's put it this way. Um, the media stopped covering car accidents a long time ago. Uh, why? Uh, uh, be because they happen frequently, unfortunately, and tragically sometimes people are killed in, in car accidents. But they're so common that they're, they're not covered anymore. Just like that, uh, uh, law enforcement officers who commit misconduct, are, it's so infrequent, it's so rare, that it's a big deal. And so it gets far more coverage and it, and it makes it seem as though it's a common occurrence when it really isn't. And when they do a good job, they don't get any coverage, right? No, they don't, do a, they don't get coverage when, or, or they get less. Uh, you know, they, they do a good job by whatever it might be, solving a big crime, there'll be a little bit of attention. Generally, the officers, the uh, I have a friend that works for LAPD for robbery homicide, and he's solved a number of really significant, difficult cases that if you heard about it because it was a significant case, uh, you might hear about it, but you certainly don't hear that the detective that, that you know, uh, did extraordinary work on the, on the case to solve a difficult case. You don't really ever hear that side of it. Do you have any other thoughts for our audience? No, I hope it changes. I think your, your question about how do we change this, um, the practical reality is we need more police officers, we need good police officers, and by villainizing law enforcement, uh, we're, we're causing more harm than good, and we need to change that trend. Fred Pearson, District Attorney of El Dorado County, it was great to have you on California Insider. Thank you.